You are listening to the award-winning Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is Noah Festenstein talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. From baseball, football, hockey, soccer, basketball, mixed martial arts, I got it all. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the madness. So this Cubs team has a lot to worry about. Overall, the White Sox team is better. This is where the NBA playoffs get a little more interesting. I think one, if not two, of these fights at UFC 274 is going to be a dud. Not good. Welcome back to another edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. My name is Noah Bestenstein, talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. So let's get us going tonight with episode 232, all the way from Hartford College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. And tonight marks the 100th episode on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And it can't get much better than this, can it? Beautiful Monday evening here in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Just 25 miles northwest of beautiful Chicago in the downtown area. Where once upon a time, this, the beautiful podcast known as Monday Madness Sports Talk, started started its journey on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcast, of course. As it started at Radio DePaul Sports... And leaked its way through to a, a podcast forum during the pandemic. And then has culminated up till now. And I have done some more shows at WHGM FM 88.3. Um, I'll get to that in a bit because there are some thoughts that I have in terms of how I want to run the show in the future based on recent life occurrences. Uh, so I'll get into that actually uh, right now. Uh, I want to talk about this before... Um, I talk about the sports that are happening, the beautiful, beautiful sports that are happening here in Chicago. I mean, there's only one sport present in Chicago right now, and that's baseball. And then you got the Chicago Sky that just started their season. So not really much going on in the Chicago spectrum of things. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, so recently I have uh, been... As you may have had noticed last week, didn't have a show last week. Kind of just starting a new phase of my life. Uh, Just um, started my first journalism job, and I am loving it so much. I work at 
and write for journal and topics in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Not only do I maybe sometimes do sports, but I, I want to do some local affairs, you know, things that people can get behind and, uh, you know, important news topics. Not Of course, not saying that sports isn't important news topics, but the, the, the point of the matter is I want to learn more about other things and, you know, sports right now, are meant for my in my life at least are meant for this podcast and you know other life's other life choices that i want to make and exploring and learning new facets of this place called earth in the milky way galaxy in the universe i don't know what our universe is called i don't know the foreseeable universe but you get the point it's going to be Kind of like a new type of life in a way in terms of making this podcast. Um, you know, there if it hasn't been sporadic enough, there might be times where I take a week off just to focus on my writing or um, maybe a time where I really do want to do a show that week, but instead it'll be posted on a Tuesday or even that of a Sunday. But still, of course, called Monday Mana Sports Talk because it is around a Monday. The point of the show that I started with when I started it back in 2016 was the fact that we all get to start our week off with some fresh sports content, right? You know, looking what, what we can look forward to later in the week, what we just endured this past weekend, whether that was a football Sunday or UFC Saturday night, something like that, right? So it's just... The basis at which I started the show and the purpose still exists. It's just that the system is different, just like how it was when I transitioned it to Radio DePaul Sports and like how it was when the pandemic hit and I had to adjust and do it at home and still works that way. And it's awesome because I found a great space to do it in. So now at this point in my life, you know, I want to make sure... I can get to a point in my journalism and reporting career to where, yeah, maybe I can full-time at some point in my life do sports. Or maybe, heck, I do find some really good attributes in my writing when it comes to public affairs or whatnot. But who knows? But at the end of the day, to all of you listeners listening in to this podcast right now, I will never, ever try to stop Monday Madness Sports Talk. Ever. Forever. I will not stop this. You're going to hear me at 75 years old be like, Welcome back to Monday Madness Sports Talk! That's going to be me. And I'm excited for that. I mean, I don't know where life's going to change. Or turn, or whatever. But I'm always going to have a laptop. And I'm always going to have a microphone. And I'm always going to have a knack for talking Chicago sports. Even if I'm not even living in the country. Heck, I'll do it from... Japan or something and still talk Chicago sports because I still love it that much and it's always going to be in my blood for as long as I live and this podcast for instance will be in my blood for as long as I live so tonight the 100th episode at which it is publicized on Spotify Apple Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts um, I want you to you know go back in time see how I've changed my style my 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 tone um, whether I maybe even suck more now than I used to or vice versa, <laughs> I don't know. What's great about what it was back then is there were so many different sports topics and events that happened 
that have helped shape me into the reporter that I am today, whether or not that I do report on sports. So I'm always going to thank the sports community for that, no matter what happens for the rest of my life. But, you know, I think life is about learning new things, and that doesn't always revolve around sports. And obviously the show revolves all around sports, but sometimes it has that kind of sort of life connection to it. And that's something that I've, I hope to convey and that I hoped to have been conveying for the five, six years that this podcast has been in existence. So uh, with that all being said, I know it's a pretty elongated intro. Last week it was like a two-minute intro. This week it's like a nine-minute intro. So let me get to the point here. Today for Sports Talk, uh, we'll be getting into, of course, as mentioned, MLB, baseball, um, Cubs, White Sox. I mean, the Cubs I mean, are kind of showing their true colors. And the White Sox as well showing what they can do after sweeping Boston at Fenway Park over the weekend. Uh, so, you know, I think, and in theory, as the baseball season goes on, you'll, you'll notice these teams start emerging that you'll see being up top the entirety of the season. And there's some other teams in the league that um, I'm really happy for, and I'll mention in the baseball segment. And then next up after that will be the second out of three segments. It will be that of NBA and NHL playoffs. Going to talk about both, the tree, what it looks like. I'm not going to stress myself over Chicago sports on that. Um, And we'll go from there. And then the final segment of the show today, I want to talk about this past weekend in UFC 274. I predicted that there was going to be a a couple fights in this card that weren't going to live up to the hype. And, uh, yeah, when you set those expectations and those – become true it not only feels good but you know it feels relaxing to know that i'm not bothered by how bad a certain fight went so i'll talk about what i mean and more and uh thanks so much for tuning in this is the 100th edition on spotify that of though the 232nd overall edition here on may the 9th 2022 we'll be back in just a bit stick around for some baseball cubs white socks coming right at you here on Monday Man of Sports Talk. Welcome back to the Madness here on May 9th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. That is Mashton Kutcher, Need Me, the Jesse Block remix. So let's start us off with some baseball discussion as the North Side versus South Side matchup went down last week. I'm going to start us off with that because kind of ties everything in Chicago together a little bit. Uh, so I, overall, I'm not surprised that the Cubs got swept in two games, uh, but I'm also... Not surprised that the White Sox did not blow them out in a way. It wasn't really like the last year or a couple years ago where uh, the White Sox like blew out a Chicago Cubs team that could have been better than them. So uh, I think this Cubs team kind of knows how to stick around baseball games, but they don't know how to finish and they just don't know how to put up the significant amount of runs that they need to win a game. Just simply put, and... I think this past series with the Dodgers and, of course, what what happened with the White Sox goes to show that this Cubs team is in 
rebuild. And I I hesitated saying that because I don't want to believe it. But, you know, I've always wanted to believe that this season was a retooling season. But if the Cubs can't prove to me otherwise throughout the next 10 games, I'm going to give keep giving myself reasons to believe that this Cubs team is three years away from competing again. And, uh, honestly, I expected this pattern to occur. Now, there's always this one time where the Cubs are really good at, this is uh, an X point, let's say in 2007 and 2008, and then there's an X amount of years in between, from 08 to 2014, where the Cubs are just not good. 09, specifically, it's just like, I'm giving the Cubs that timeline. I'm willing to be patient. I may not have I may not live in the north side when it happens but I'm going to give this Cubs team 3 or 4 years at this point because I want to set these expectations low enough for me not to be so disappointed in my favorite sports team ever. People might question that decision but I'm I'm sure a lot of Cubs fans alike agree with me that if you're a Cubs fan more than likely that's your favorite team in all of sports. And it sucks to say that my favorite team's not going to perform, or at least not expecting them to perform. And we've kind of set ourselves up so highly in the past four or five years for this Cubs team that um, had so much potential and then just died down essentially exponentially since 2017. You know, I've said it many times and. Uh, that, you know, the pyramid, you just kept walking down the pyramid of success in that this Cubs team went downhill from 2017 to now, essentially, of course, to the kind of the worst they've really ever been in that, like, they made, they won the World Series, of course, in 2016. That was the peak. And they made it to the NLCS in 2017, lo- loses makes it to the playoffs in 18, 19, misses it. Well, essentially misses it in 19, comes back in 20 because of the shortened season. Last year misses it, and now this year they're probably already out of it. So this Cubs team is just, uh, I want to say, they're at a very dull point of what is a roller coaster of a team and an organization that has never proven sustained success. And that's something I always preach about on this program is that of, of sustained success and, and why it's so important to have consistency. Because great teams know how to do that. And you don't want the White Sox to fall down that same path because right now they're they have the best talent that they've ever had in the past decade. And I don't want to see that go to waste in the South Side just due to injury. And I preached a lot about that in my last episode, and uh, I couldn't agree with myself any more than what I said. And if you, I'm not going to talk any really more about the White Sox injuries because I think they're going to at this point if they play the cards right, as I mentioned last episode that they can indeed make really good improvements based on what they have. That's what they did last year. They had so many people on the so many players on injured reserve, and then bam, they got really good. 
So we're right now with this Cubs team as they're, you know, before I get into White Sox, of course, this Cubs team confuses me right now. You know, the, I think the one move that kind of like proves my confusion is the fact that they sent down first baseman Frank Schwindel and they sent an option down. They only have really limited amount of options over the season. And then the day after they optioned them, they, the day that the Cubs optioned Schwindel down to AAA Iowa, 24 hours later, they call him right back up to the majors. That makes no sense at all. So I think that is just the uh, example as to how this Cubs team and the organization operates right now. Like they don't, it doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. And they don't have the cards on the field to prove that they can consistently be good at the next point of the season. I mean, yeah, they might go on maybe a couple five-game winning streaks, but that's not going to be enough. Because there's also going to be these streaks of just bad playing, bad offense, bad pitching, or a combination of both, or one thing leads to another, and that leads to losses. And this Cubs team has not proven that most likely it's things that they do on the field and in the batter's box is going to lead to a loss. And um, I don't want to be negative Noah here, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a long road for this Cubs team this season. And um, I'm going to keep watching games. I'm going to be keeping me paying attention, but it's not like how I felt at the beginning of the season three weeks ago. It doesn't feel like why I fell in love with the game of with this Cubs team early on, and I was always preaching, believe in this Cubs team, believe in them, and you can still believe in them. I want you to, and I still want people to, because you know whether or not they suck, it's about believing and understanding that this team has flaws and. I think the fan base, especially in the White Sox organization, I, I know there's a lot of Chicago White Sox fans and some other fan bases around the the league who are in a state of denial and don't even think that their team is not bad at all and they have a great chance and then they just can't really see what's real. So that's I always like try to convey to my audience here on this podcast to you that being a fan of sports comes with consequences. That's why sometimes, like I said in the intro, like I don't want to write sports all the time. I don't want to get my heart broken because my team or the bias comes into play and it affects me. No, I want to I want to be real in life sometimes, you know? And being real leads to being more in an accepting being more accepting to the facts of what's in front of you. So, I don't know. So, what's in front of me for this Cubs team, it's not good. Just put it that way. But, for the sake of the matter, they do got a game tonight in San Diego. I'll be watching that. Currently, it is 7.15 p.m. Central Standard Time as I'm recording this. Uh, So, they play tonight, they play tomorrow night, and then they play Wednesday afternoon, and then they are back... On their way back, they're going to stop in Arizona for three, and then they're back in Chicago next Monday against the Pirates for three. Uh, so, you know, at least beat these teams, get maybe seven out of ten wins, and then I'll start believing again. Because these are not hard opponents, at least not hard compared to the Dodgers. And then the Dodgers series, this Cubs team, 
Lost 7-0, 6-2, and 7-1. So they lost the series by a combined run total 20-3. to um, And I think that just proves that this Cubs team obviously can't beat teams that are significantly better than them. And they're really not in a place to compete right now. And I don't think a lot of this Cubs fan base is used to that, especially in the past five years. Um, but I think something that the Chicago baseball fan base can get into and start getting into again is the White Sox. Because this White Sox team is catching fire again. They swept the Red Sox at Fenway, which is not always easy to do, especially after losing. And uh, I went to a Cub, the Cubs game, the first game of the World Crosstown Classic, with one of my friends who's a, a White Sox fan. And uh, I told him, I'm like, based on how the White Sox are playing against the Cubs, this Cubs team, you know, can be passing off the torch in this game. Very well could be that. Like, I mean, it's not that they've already passed the torch, of course, but... Um, like literally, like they are proving to themselves that the Chicago White Sox is the team in Chicago right now. So there were some woes and struggles at the beginning of the season, but as if, as they're catching up and they're readjusting, and I think you know they're, you know, I I think the injury, I, I hope knock on wood, the injury stuff is behind the White Sox. And that they can move forward, rehabilitate their players. And everything that I said about the White Sox medical staff last week. All the nice things I said about them, of course, right? Haha, <laughs> wink, wink. All the great things I said about them last week. The White Sox medical staff, I think, could be recognizing this pattern. So let's just hope that continues. Because over the past couple weeks, it hasn't been too bad for this White Sox team. So we'll give them that. And they're on a winning streak right now. You know, three against the Red Sox, two against the Cubs. And then they had one against the Angels. So right now, they're on a six-game winning streak. And uh, currently, as we speak, they're playing the Guardians for three. They got the Yankees, which will be a great matchup at um, guaranteed rate against the Yankees uh, Thursday night. Wow, that's going to be a fun night. I might go to that. I'm going to head out my White Sox um, friends here see if they want to go to this Yankees game on Thursday night. I am off. So let's do it. Um... Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, and I, I like making plans for my week on my podcast live. It's just, you know, I'd say it's engaging to my audience. Um, so, yeah, the White Sox have four against the Yankees at home, and then next Monday will be against the Royals in Kansas City for five because of a rain out earlier in the season. So I always get intrigued when one team plays the other five times in a row. I haven't seen six. If anybody's seen six in a row, let me know because I want to know what that series was for any team. doesn't matter. Um, but that goes for, for the White Sox in particular. I think their strengths right now is their timely hitting. Yeah, they're not scoring a lot of runs, but they've been getting good pitching. I think Dallas Keuchel had a solid game yesterday. Better. But don't let that fool you because he might not be – like he, Keuchel could be the type of pitcher that when he catches fire, he catches fire – but he can also be a little deceiving. So stay patient with Keiko a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, Dylan Cease is, I think, the standout pitcher so far this season. Kopech has had his moments. Uh, it, it's 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 good to see that this... Oh, yeah. Um, who's, who the heck am I thinking about? Um, 
I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but the White Sox bullpen has been um, very sustainable. As you can hear, Joey barking in the background, my dog. Um, by the way, prayers out to my dog, Joey. He's got a cyst on his eye, and he's in a cone. So God bless my dog, my Westy Terrier, Joey. Um, so here's the guy I was, <laughs> I was thinking about. Um, Matt Foster. Yeah, he's been having a great season so far. I think he's been the standout bullpen relief pitcher. Um, you know, I, I've seen Bummer. I think he's just been kind of lacking. I haven't, well, what guy I haven't really seen much is Joe Kelly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I haven't been watching enough White Sox games to kind of make that statement, but, uh, I would like to see a lot more Joe Kelly as uh, once he gets better. Maybe, maybe I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing with this White Sox team. And, uh, I might need some White Sox fan support here. You know, if you want to convert your fellow Cubs fan from the North side here, Noah Festenstein, do it while you can, because it's very possible I'm gonna have to move over to the dark side um, as the season goes on. Because I'm already feeling it. I'm already feeling the evil inside of me for this White Sox team that I'm gonna be rooting for them. Uh, all jokes aside, though, um, I've respected this White Sox team ever since they they won the World Series in '05, and uh, you know this team and the grit and. Uh, you know, they've struggled basically just as much as the Cubs in their franchise. So if you think about it, you know, all the um, the losing stretches and the fact that the White Sox went before 2005 didn't make the playoffs for like f between 1920 and 2005, they only made the playoffs like four times. So, you know, I think White Sox and Cubs fans see past this a lot is that these two franchises are quite alike like they're a lot alike in many ways and uh i think that goes to show that that's kind of a trend here in chicago sports with some of these uh losing stretches you know the bears haven't won since 85 you know the white Sox before um not the white Sox, the blackhawks before 2010 didn't win a cup since the 60s and the bulls of course, they haven't won since the dynasty in the 90s, and they've had close chances, and then the curse of what happened with Derrick Rose, and I, I call that a curse if um, for this Bulls team. And that's when this Bulls team kind of just got less exciting until, of course, this year. Um, and then the Black... I already mentioned the Blackhawks. What am I doing? Um, even the Fire. I could say the same thing for the Chicago Fire in a way, where they've, uh, you know, they started their franchise off as a winning franchise and since then it's just been average so i mean i think we're not going to talk fire today but you know there's improvements for every chicago franchise always and i think with the chicago fan base one of the best fan bases in the world and i'm not saying that because i'm biased i'm saying that because i see it um is that we all want there's always something to be desired with this fan base in Chicago. And that's something that I think I respect, but at the same time get annoyed by because people are kind of getting needy. And that, that goes with any franchise, especially franchises in sports that are in droughts. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, so overall, the baseball season... Let's talk some standings. The Yankees are the best team in the American League East, two and a half in front of the Rays and four in front of the Blue Jays. Um, hey, you know what? I'm going to swallow my tongue here in a way 
At least should have swallowed it when I was talking about the Yankees earlier. If they could keep this up, prove me wrong. I said they were a third-place team this season. By all means, man, make me hate you more, Yankees. Make me hate you more. That's all I got to say. Uh, but, yeah, no. I mean, t- it's hard to ha- hate a team that, you know, has Anthony Rizzo on it and some really cool guys. Hold on. What's that pitcher's name that I really like in the Yankees? Um... Gosh, I gotta, I gotta get my memory in sorts here for the Yankees uh, and just every single pitching depth. Um, who was it? I know I had him in the name bank, but I can't see. Him. Anyways, we'll get back to that. Um, no, there it is, Nestor Cortez. And I'm sure you're thinking that I was gonna say that, but Nestor Cortez, I think universally is liked. He's just a fun player, and I always look out for those players that have fun doing their job and um and interacting with fans and you know having like a personality on the it's, it's really essentially it comes down to personality on the field and those are the players that get attached to most that's why i like this white Sox team I, they have personality but sometimes they focus on that too much and it bites them in the end so um yeah as mentioned now in the al east you know the orioles actually are 12 and 17 two games better than the red Sox, who are 10 and 19 uh, we look at the AL Central. Twins are three games in front of the White Sox, but that might soon change. Um, you know, this is only 15% through the season. So this Twins-White Sox matchup could get intriguing as the season goes on. Uh, but we'll see. And then the Guardians are, as they're playing the White Sox right now, are 14-14. And behind them are the Royals and Tigers. And I'm sure Javier Baez learn his lesson that the Tigers may not be a winning franchise for a little bit. But at the same time, I think every player in the league kind of has to get used to being a part of a, of a losing franchise. And there's some that have never been exposed to it. And honestly, those players, some of them are on the Cubs. And I think Schwarber is a good example of that. He hasn't really been on a team that's bad. Like, think about it. He was on the Nationals. He was on the... Um, what was it? He was on the Red Sox last year in the postseason. And then this year, of course, with the Phillies. And the Phillies aren't half bad. I'll get to them in a second, though. AL West is the division that I'm really happy about because I get to see that the Angels are 19-11, and 11, but the wretched Houston Astros are 18-11. and 11, And a team that's kind of falling off the map maybe a little too quickly right now is the Seattle Mariners at 13-16. and 16. Uh, they started off strong, and now they're five and a half games out of the division lead. You got the Rangers at 11 and 16, and the Athletics at 10 and 18. Let's move on to the National League. We'll start off with the East because I just talked about the Phillies. You know, the Phillies are on paper; they're not a bad team, but right now in the standings, they're 12 and 16 compared to three other teams in front of them that are the Marlins, who are 13 and 15, the Braves at 14 and 16, but the team to beat. And I think the team that will be coasting along this NL East for the entirety of the season, I do believe, is the New York Mets' team is strong. I think that the reason why I mentioned Baez, I think he should have stayed on the Mets. I think his relationship with Lindor would have been strong, and uh, that's a decision that Baez might regret down the line is not staying with the Mets. Maybe the Mets didn't need him. And I think that theory could very well be correct. Uh, You know, no matter what, no matter what, player you put at shortstop they're an elite player shortstop is a very important position in the field whether or not you trained as a middle infielder or a corner infielder you can essentially play shortstop uh so 
Baez used to play second base. So I think that goes to show, especially with his wizardry that we've already seen this season in the defensive column. He had a, I think Baez had a play where he wasn't even looking behind him on a forced play at two. He flipped the ball in between his legs and Candelario at second caught it. So, um, you know, those are the types of plays that you want from a defender, but striking out at a high rate isn't. So you got to kind of, you know, I was talking to a friend about this. I want to bring this up. Um, I'm glad I remembered to bring this up. I was like, should I bring this up or not? But I think I should because I, I have a theory of sorts. Like, you know, I think Jason Hayward for the Cubs is a great example of this theory is that when you play baseball, right, and you, you think about the contributions made to your respective team, you think about how in what ways you contribute from a defensive or an offensive standpoint. And let's say you strike out one inning in a situation where the bases are loaded and maybe it's one out or two outs in the inning, you could have scored in a run. But then on the flip side of things, let's say that player is a shortstop and ends up making a diving play at short or an unbelievable play out of nowhere, whatever it is, to keep a run from scoring. So I think when you think about it in that sense, you may lose a run in a way by not hitting a runner in in a high leverage situation compared to then maybe the next inning or two you make a play in the field that keeps your opposing team from scoring a run and you kind of make up for that mistake so i think a game that's why i love the game of baseball is you can perform on both ends of the spectrum and make up for your mistakes and baseball gives you room for that and not even that you can make up your mistakes later in the game in your next at bat so that's something that I thought about. And I think, like I said, Jason Hayward's a great example of that because as much as he might not perform as much as um, he needs to at the plate, no matter what, you can always rely on his defensive um, capabilities. So that makes up for it. And that's something we've talked about for a while with this Cubs team in the outfield is that Hayward is the X factor when it comes to defense. But... Um, from an offensive standpoint, we get excited when he gets a base hit, right? So uh, that's something that I kind of want to bring up. So as now we continue through the standings, we got the Central here. Um, Brewers are two and a half games in front of the Cardinals at 19 and 10. A lot of these first place teams have like 19 or just 20 wins. The, yeah, literally the lowest amount of wins in one division in the lead is 18 by the Twins. That's it. So that's, I think, a very interesting stat to look at in the standings. Um... Cardinals at two and a half and back, and that they're sixteen and twelve. Pirates eleven and sixteen, seven games back. Cubs are nine and eighteen, nine and eighteen, nine games back. And the Reds, the abysmal Reds, out of nowhere. This is the worst team in baseball. Oh no! Oh my God! What happened to this Reds team? I thought they were actually going to be okay this season. Not great, but okay. They lost Suarez. They lost Castellanos. So, like, I think that they're just, like, recovering. Man, I feel bad for Joey Votto. That's who I feel bad for. Um, all right, let's move on from that abysmal record of 5-23 and 23 to the Anon West, where we see all five teams above 500. The Arizona Diamondbacks in last place, 15 and 14. Rockies at 16 and 12. Giants 16 and 12. 
Padres 19 and 10 and in a game and a half in front of them is the Dodgers at 19 and 7. Go Diamondbacks and Rockies. Uh, I like to see something different every year, but, you know, it's NL West. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be like this throughout the rest of the season, but they're the only team in baseball that have all five teams at or above 500. So, uh, yep. Yep, 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 yep. That is baseball for you folks. And uh, we'll have to move on. From the ball stick game and on to what shall be the next segment. Should be another stick game, but instead of a stick, you got a puck. And instead of a puck in one of those games, you got a ball that goes through a hoop. So that's coming up here. Basketball and hockey coming up here on the 232nd edition of Monday Man of Sports Talk. We'll be back in just a bit. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the madness here on May the 9th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. And bringing me into this, the basketball and hockey segment is Tones and I with Fly Away, the Jonas Blue remix. So as we now uh, delve into the topic of the playoffs... In which, both in the NBA and NHL, respectively, is in the thick of it. And even in the NHL, for that matter, I think there's going to be some teams that emerge that we haven't seen before. And maybe the same thing in basketball, but I predicted Suns and Bucks in the finals. And right now, any it seems like anything can happen. The Warriors, I feel like, are the best next candidate for that spot in my eyes. But I'm not, like, I haven't really fully talked about the end of the bowl season. So let me get that out of the way before I go any further in the NBA playoffs. Because, indeed, this is Chicago. And this was a season to remember. They It really was. There's so many moments that I'll look back on 30 years down the line and be like, yeah, I remember when De- DeMar DeRozan hit two straight buzzer beers in two straight days in two different years. I'll remember that for the rest of my basketball knowledge days until, you know, it fades away. But I I will have a lot to digest from the season compared to other seasons that I really don't remember much of other than what happened this season. Before that, it was the Derrick Rose era. And before that, it was an era that I was born in, in the Michael Jordan days. So that's something that I'm just really grateful for this season is to I was able to watch so many Bulls games, get to digest so many different types of players emerging, like Io DeSunmu, and I, th- I thought Devontae Green played so well. I, I loved how Alex Caruso played when he was not injured and how he facilitated on defense. There's so many great things, and there were some things that were of question. Like, I think, you know, Nikola Vukovic, is he lived up to what he's supposed to be, right? You know, especially in the playoffs, but, I mean, it's the the Bucs. The, I think 
what constituted the Bulls' demise this season was how they played in the final 15 games. That's what really what it came down to, and that's what made me say that indeed they were going to lose in five games to the Bucks. I'll, I could see a win out of them, and when they did win game two and they had an early win, 1-1 going into the series, and some momentum, there was some faith, especially coming back home to the United Center. Uh, and then when they won two straight, I remember going back on the show a couple weeks ago before they officially lost, was when, I, yeah, I had no faith. And I was already concluding the bowl season. That's why today I didn't feel as necessary to do it. But that's my end of the season rant, is that there are so many things to remember on and so many things to build off on. And in the process, this team has made themselves more of an attractive candidate in free agency, which is extremely important when you need a guy, especially for this Bulls team. And what I see is a big man, a big shooter, somebody who can facilitate. And and the Bulls need Lonzo Ball to stay healthy. That's it. They need him to be healthy. They, I mean, essentially everyone, they need to be healthy. But they need to have consistency in the lineup where at the end of the season, there's a cohesive nature to this team that says, yes, we are a championship team. There wasn't that cohesion in the playoffs, and that's okay. It's It, was, it wasn't hard to recognize that. And... I think down the stretch, it was easy for uh, for the Bulls fans and uh, to recognize that, yeah, this maybe wasn't a championship team this season, but progress was there. And that's what's most important to recognize after five straight seasons of just straight nonsense. So that is my Bulls rant for today. And... I think at the end of the day, we got a round of applause to Bulls GM, Arturis, who has transformed this Bulls team and the the culture within it to say, yes, we have great players, we have great coaching, and we can do this. And now from the Bulls fans and analytics perspective in our eyes is saying, we believe. And I think this Bulls team is going to start performing based on um, this type of hype, and they're going to condition accordingly in the offseason, and we'll see how that goes over next season. And uh, I overheard that, what was it, Zach Levine wanted to put everybody through, like, tough workouts or something like that. Uh, or DeMar DeRozan said that. Somebody said that. And I was like, I-, I thought to myself, I was like, don't work these guys too hard before – Everybody blows out their ACL or whatever because you don't want to see that happen. Knock on wood. Okay, so the NBA playoffs as a whole. Currently, as we speak, it is 8.13 p.m. Central Standard Time on Monday, the May 9th of the 2022 year here on Earth in the solar system of the Milky Way galaxy. Now lead the Bucks 76 to 65 in quarter number three of the conference semifinals in the NBA playoffs, where Milwaukee leads two to one. So up eleven, the Bucks are, and I do believe, like I've mentioned already in the segment, the Bucks will make the NBA finals. They have proven consistency to do it, and when Milton is back and healthy again, they will surge past the Eastern Conference back for the second straight year defending their NBA championship of 2021. So tonight, in 46 minutes, the ball will be tipped between the Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies 
as Golden State leads that series two to one. Game five of the Heat and four, uh, not 49ers, 70, <laughs> the 76ers. What am I doing? Heat and 76ers tomorrow night at 6:30, and then from there it's um, you got a couple, you got a day off. It's going into um, yeah, I think you only have one game tomorrow night. If I'm correct. Yeah, and then game uh, five of Celtics Bucks will be on Wednesday. So as of right now, as I've mentioned, you know, the Warriors can just, of course, you know, keep this going, this lead going in the Grizzlies Warriors series as they play them tonight. Could be a good game. If, uh, you know, I post this enough enough time, you know, I'll probably just catch the second half of it. Uh, but then I'm intrigued by this Heat 76ers series, which is tied at two, and tomorrow night. Big game five in Miami. So let's see who takes the edge in that one. I think there's a percentage where uh, if you win game five, if the series is tied 2-2, 73 to 80% of the time, you are going to advance. So keep that stat in mind. That Game fives are, in my eyes, based on experience with my own Chicago teams, game five is the most serious game in all sports, I could say that from the Chicago um, Chicago Blackhawks for two of the three cups that they've won. Game fives were huge. And then Cubs in the World Series run, they had to come back in the World Series and win a pivotal game five. So game fives have a history here in Chicago. That's why I hold it dear and near to my heart, and that's why it's like whenever there's a game five, I usually try to watch it in any sport. And you also get that treatment tomorrow night between the Suns and Mavericks. Okay, so that is what's going on currently in the NBA. Now, big conversation today is the MVP race. And it became official that the NBA MVP of this year is... Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, and that has caused some stir in the NBA community, per se. I think a lot of people wanted to see Joel Embiid uh, win this year's NBA MVP. Now, I do have something to say about it because, you know, Jokic won it the second year in a row. He won it last year, and I think he won it third square. Some people even thought last year Joel Embiid um, was going to win that MVP race. But this year, I think it was a little closer, which is why I think it's more of a discussion this year. Uh, I mean, if you look at the stat lines, I think there's also... The, both teams are very different. They've had very different outcomes, especially here in the playoffs. So you don't talk about that, though. The MVP... I think what people really forget about in the MVP race is that it doesn't matter what you do in the playoffs. It only matters what you do in the regular season. That's how MVP is decided. And then, of course, you have your respective postseason individual awards. So I think people get too stirred up in the fact of how far teams go in the playoffs. And this year is a great example of that. Um, So right now, Joel Embiid is, of course, the only player playing at the moment. So you kind of have to base that theory off of maybe his performance now and how he contributes to a team is really the basis 
of how you judge an MVP race is contributions. Uh, but it becomes evident that if you're an MVP on a team that barely makes it through to the playoffs, there's something going on with the rest of the team. And I always use the uh, uh, Los Angeles Angels as an example to this. And if they don't win this season, then I'm going to question their organization for the rest of my life is that you have two MVPs and one of the greatest baseball players of all time on one team, and you can't even make it to the playoffs. So it goes to show that something's something's up with the rest of the squad unit. And I think that goes to show when you have a five-player team on the court that if you have one really good player, the best player supposedly in the league, and you don't perform, that's a problem. So let's compare these stat lines here. Jokic, this season has played 74 games, has had a 58% field goal percentage, and has hit 33% from the three-point uh, line. Um, and he's averaged 27 points a game. What more can you ask from a guy, even from a defensive standpoint? He's got like some uh, 1.5 steals a game. You kidding me? For a guy who's known as scoring, that's... Sometimes he'll get like four of those a game. That that transcends the points. But it goes to show that the Denver Nuggets was just overall leaning on the success of Jokic. And that's never going to be enough. And I think it goes to show you need two main contributors. And you saw that with this Bulls team this season. In some facets, it was more of like top-tier DeMar DeRozan, Second tier, Zach Levine and everybody else is like really good to average, you know? So with the NBA in Denver, it's really, 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 really good for one player and then average for the rest, not even sometimes. So, um, and then you look at Joel Embiid, people are now questioning this stat line and Embiid did play six less games than Jokic at 68. His field goal percentage was 49%, 0.499 exactly, so practically 50%. 1.43 points a game as a 37% three-point average, but average 30.6 a game. Like I said, and he also last year averaged 28.5. And if you compare that to Nikola Jokic, he had... 26.4. So you're taking Jokic two years in a row with less points per game in terms of contributions to your team. At the end of the day, it matters mainly in the points column and how well you shoot the ball and your percentage. But I think from a I think the MVP voting, especially for both years from last year, is that you're looking at the stats from a collective standpoint. You're contr- you're contributing by being consistent. If you're consistently shooting nearly 60% compared to 50%, well, you become more reliable. And being more reliable is being more valuable than even a guy who just simply scores 30.6 a game because he's just that dominant of a player. Sometimes dominance doesn't get you value. Because sometimes it could just be a little too much. And that's a theory, not a fact. So I think um, 
from an overall standpoint, if you consider contributions to your team and everything, Jokic did just as well as Embiid. And Embiid and Jokic, I mean, if you're going to do it like the MLB and the West in the Western Conference, it's Jokic and the Eastern Conference, and it's Embiid. But the MVP voting in the NBA is just one MVP, and that's Jokic. And we don't think like that. Who's the total MVP in the in the MLB, do we? No, it's just weird. Um, all right, well, that is it for basketball. Let's kind of take a deep breath. Seventh inning stretch here on Monday Man of Sports Talk. We just got hockey and UFC to go. Everybody stretch at the good old Monday Man of Sports Talk podcast. Buy me some Cracker Jacks. Here we go. Let's go with some uh, hockey. You eat Cracker Jacks at a hockey game. I've done that before. Funny side story. The worst thing I've ate at a hockey game was at a Chicago Wolves game. And it wasn't because of what I was served. It was because of a prank that my dad and brother pulled on me while I was in the bathroom. These two hooligans put a jalapeno pepper in my cotton candy while I was going to the bathroom. And at that time when I was nine or what, 10 years old, I hated jalapenos. Now I love jalapenos. Oh my gosh, I put them on almost everything. Not everything, but you get the point. I came back, took a nice big chunk of the jalapeno. You know how like Con Gandhi has like the hard, like crunchy stuff in it? And then you bite into it and it tastes so good. I thought that was what it was. But instead, it was a flaming hot jalapeno. And I got so mad I started tearing up i wasn't crying but like i was mad but it also disciplines my taste buds to to take the jalapeno because i love jalapeno peppers but that is going to transition me into nhl playoffs right now as i speak the penguins are beating the rangers seven to two in game four of the first round as the capitals and panthers are in a good game it is two to one and i never really did um playoff predictions but uh, i'm just gonna kind of predict it as it goes on i'm not really confident with my predictions in the nhl because honestly i didn't watch a lot of, i didn't watch a lot of hockey this season i'm gonna be honest because you could even tell with my hockey coverage on monday man sports like have i watched hockey as much i've been more keen to basketball football and baseball and ufc the past three or four months more fixated on those four sports and hockey has just been because of the Blackhawks for me and I've been trying to cover it as best I can it's just been too painful but I do recognize good talent when I see it in hockey so once I do kind of like reach that next round in the playoffs and start watching these games a little bit more often I'll understand and kind of who is the best I think when um the Blackhawks is going through that whole stupid fiasco at the beginning of the season with the um, Coach Quenville and the the harassment allegations and everything and the losing and the coaching change. It was a lot. And after that, once the Hawks started going downhill, I just started giving up on hockey a little bit. I played a little hockey over the winter, got my skates on, and I was fixated on it a little bit, and then it just ended. But now I want it to come back. I want this playoffs to kind of entertain me to a point where I get fixated on this game that I used to love so much, and I still love so much, but, like, I know throughout my life, like, my favorite sports, I'll be in, like, phases where I like something better than the other, but I know I always love football, not talking about American football, soccer, 
I love soccer. I love baseball and I love UFC. Those are my top three. Soccer, baseball, UFC. But to you, I know maybe soccer might not be it, but I love it. I love kickball. The soccer where you kick the ball. Anyways, this is the playoffs. This is where it gets interesting and more entertaining. Sometimes I just get lost in the regular season. And I'm sure all you hockey fans do unless you have NHL Game Pass or something. You watch every game. But that used to be me. I I used to do that for like the last quarter of most every season in like 2009 to like 2016. I was just fixated. But and then baseball took over and then I got more into basketball. Um, And then college happens. Life happens. But still madness happened. And that's why we are still here. Um... Tonight, we still have some games. We got the Calgary Flames and Dallas Stars in Dallas at 8.30. And Predators and Avalanche, where the Colorado Avalanche have a very comfortable 3 nothing lead tonight. That can end. And I got to say, if you end a series in NHL hockey playoffs very early, it, it, it bodes for a huge advantage in the next round. Because you're giving yourself and your guys a lot of rest an insurmountable amount of rest. But uh, the game in the series that I'm most interested in right now is the Maple Leafs Lightning series that is currently tied 2-2. I want to see the Maple Leafs win. They are have the worst luck in the first round. I want to see them take out the defending Stanley Cup champions. It'll be oh so sweet for them to do it. It'll be great to see the t- city of Toronto kind of like exhale. But I know that you know, the Blue Jays are happening there, too, and that they might be good. But right now, I'm sure that the whole city of Toronto is fixated on this Maple Leafs team. They did lose 7-3 to yesterday, but I think this team can pull it off when they come back home to Toronto. Uh, so I, I think that's my number one series to watch right now, at least in the first round. Uh, L.A. and uh, Edmonton. 4-0 LA. Series tied at 2. That's another great series off in the West Coast. Rangers, as mentioned, Pittsburgh leading that 2-1, but they're about to be leading 3-1 as they're le- they're winning 7-2. So can't imagine them losing that lead with three minutes left in the third period. If that happens, that would be the greatest comeback in playoffs history. Uh, game 4 is in period 3 with five minutes left, and it looks like the Capitals are ahead, so I would tune into that one. Actually, you can't because it's a podcast. And it, by the time you, by the time you listen to this, all these games are gonna be over. And but I'm sure right now you're gonna be watching the Stars, Flames, and Predators, Avalanche. But yeah, I'm just talking in present tense. I live so much in the now. Um, but yeah, so another series. All these series are two two. Hurricanes and Bruins are looking good. And then the 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 Junior, the Blues and Wilds are tomorrow night at eight thirty. The Wilds, I am rooting for for the rest of the playoffs. That is my team. That is the closest to home I'll get because I go up to Minnesota a lot. I know the cold weather there. I know it's hockey culture. It is brutal sometimes in terms of coldness up there. And I think the Wild deserve a championship. I need them to make it far. I feel bad as a Blackhawks fan just eliminating them time and time again during the Blackhawks 
run of three Stanley Cups. Uh, so I want to see the Wild go far. The Blues, they had their moment. Now it's the Wild's turn. So uh, tomorrow at 8.30, back in Minnesota, uh, we'll see the Wild and Blues go back at it. Um, and then, yeah, I, we got a great set of games tomorrow for the NHL playoffs. I would definitely uh, try and watch those, especially if you're not really rooting for either team. It's just good hockey. Good hockey. If you like good hockey, watch all these series that are tied 2-2 because you got like four of them, and one potentially could happen tonight as Dallas leads the Flames 2-1. Um, so we'll see about that. But that, I think, is that for NHL playoffs. Um, I, my my hopes are high for the Wild and Maple Leafs. I hope they go far if they both get eliminated in the series. Well, we'll see what I want to do from there. Alrighty, folks, that is that for the hockey and basketball segment. Up next, it is the punching, kicking, wrestling sport that you all love in MMA, mixed martial arts, here on the 232nd edition of Money Man Sports Talk. Be right back with UFC 274. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the madness here on May 9th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. And we have reached that beyond segment today. And it is MMA UFC. That was Cardinox. Lost King's remix of On My Way. Bringing me here to the final segment of tonight's program. And it is UFC 274 and beyond. And I, I do have some things to say about this UFC card and uh, had some expectations going in. That it, you know, maybe on paper it looks like a great card, but there's bound to be those couple of fights that weren't going to live up to the hype. And I think I was right, to be honest. And uh, looking at this card, you see Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. Charles Oliveira and Justin Gates, you know those are going to be great fights, and they were. That lived, those lived up to the hype. And then you see Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza, you'd be like, okay, maybe not as exciting as Wei Li Zhang and Namajunas, maybe not like a slugfest that we're used to seeing with maybe a Rose Namajunas fight, but with Carla Esparza, she's a she's a counter striker. She's 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 more of a um. Like, take it as it comes sort of fighter. And I think Rose and her game plan was exactly what you saw on Saturday night. And I go straight to that fight because that was the fight of the night that wasn't the fight of the night. And so many of the bad reasons you could think of. No striking. No significant action. It was so bad that through the first three rounds, you you couldn't even tell how to score it. John Anik, Daniel Cormier, and Joe Rogan couldn't even commentate on that fight because they didn't even know how to score it. And you saw guys like Michael Bisping, who is normally on broadcasts at UFC events, 
say, yeah, I don't even know how to score this. Like, the only way you could score those rounds was octagon control. And based on the two takedown of, uh, attempts that weren't necessarily takedowns, but got Rose Namajunas grounded a little bit until she grabby rolled through it uh, and got Carla Esparza out of there and back up to the stand-up, Carla Esparza initiated the progress. It, it, that's what runner... I Honestly, to be honest with you, I kind of agree with the one judge who said 49-46. I think that round four was a coin toss in the first three rounds based on octagon control. The only way I could judge a fight that was so lacking of action in, in punches thrown through the first four rounds that I gotta say that Carla Esparza was the one who won that fight. Because of octagon, that's it. Just because of octagon control and those two takedown attempts. Now I don't know what Trevor Whitman, the legendary coaches in UFC and MMA history, was telling Rose Namajunas. Now this wasn't one of the best nights for Trevor Whitman, who is also Justin Gaethje's coach. To to say it that way, Rose Namajunas, her game plan was that. I watched her post-fight press conference, and it's got to be one of the most delusional press conferences I've ever seen. And I, don't get me wrong, and I don't mean to, like, keep crapping on Rose. I love her. I love her as a fighter, and I I love what she's given to the sport since um, the early parts of last decade. Like, it, she's one of, she's one of the fighters that could very well make it to the Hall of Fame. No joke. But that performance last last this past Saturday night I just like I I can't even fathom how that happened how there were 38 total strikes landed for Rose and 30 strikes for Carla who had two takedowns out of 11 attempts and one takedown for Rose I guess the two takedowns got her but Rose also won 100% takedown percentage but that at the end of the day didn't really matter so, <laughs> a combined one, 270 total strikes thrown in that fight. It was most likely pump faking. It weren't really strikes. So, uh, that was one of the duds in this card was the Carla Esparza-Rose Namajunas fight. Um, I think there will be a, a second fight in that, but I mean, I'm looking at the the rankings for the women's strawweight division. And Carla Esparza now passes Z- uh, Wally Zong and, and Rose, and now is the champion. But Whaley will be fighting. Um, She's she's on this list. Uh, Joanne Jurchacek, who isn't even ranked on this list. I don't, I don't know where she is. She might be on a different weight class. I don't know, but I guess she's not ranked right now. But the fight on the card next time is Shurchechek and uh, Weili Zhang. That rematch of what was, in my opinion, one of the best women's fights I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so I- I'm excited to see that matchup. And whoever wins that matchup should technically get the next championship belt if uh, between Rose and, and Carla. But... Uh, I'm sure the game plan will change if there's a second fight for Rose. Because that was... Like, the fact that, like, Rose said during her press conference... The last thing I'm going to say about this fight. She said in her press conference that... 
she thought that the crowd at um at the arena in Phoenix was booing not her but Carla. No, you're the champion, Rose. You're you're responsible for the action driven in the octagon. This is what being a champion is all about, and you're we're getting this. No, the crowd's booing both of them, essentially. Both of them weren't attacking. Carla's style is, is counter-striking, and Rosa's style is is sticking, apparently, to the game plan. So, I don't know. I, I think there was some sort of miscommunication and misguidance during that fight, and a little uncharacteristics of, of both Rose Namunis and Trevor Whitman. So, and also, you got Rose's husband in there, coaching her as well. So I don't know what's going on over there. But uh, I'm going to move on from that fight and talk about the rest of the card. I'm going to talk about the one other fight in the main card that was kind of a dud, but we all expected to be kind of slow was the Mauricio Rua, um, Shogun Rua fight against the Ovince St. Peru. Peru winning by decision, um, but not much action in that fight. Uh, Rua, the thing about Rua is he's a legend in the sport, but he's only got one fight left in him. Uh, and he's got one fight left on his contract, so he's just going to do it and just want to go out the right way, so who's it going to be against? But St. Pru getting that victory, he might be also on the chopping block soon because, honestly, that wasn't even that great of a performance and what should have been a better performance from Pru. Um, but here's the top three fights that I thought were in this card. Now, originally, there was supposed to be a lightweight fight between Donald Cerrone and Joe Lawson, but apparently the night before, after wins, Cerrone went to a taco joint in Phoenix and got food poisoning just because tacos. I guess we'll do that to you sometimes. Um, so Donald's cowboy Cerrone had to back out of the fight, but um, apparently I was seeing ads throughout the... The event where I think Donald Cerrone's in a movie. Am I correct? Um, I think he's starring in Lights Out. Yeah, so I guess uh, Lights Out is this movie Cerrone's starring in. So I guess the main part of the event was to feature that um, movie trailer. Which comes out very soon, I guess. Uh, but, I don't know. Back on topic of the card. Um, the card started with a Randy Brown and Ka, uh, Chaos Williams fight at welterweight. This is the best welterweight fight of the night. Uh, Randy Brown and Chaos Williams, I expected a great fight and got it. Um, these two, it's very hard to decipher who is winning this fight. But Randy Brown seemed to have a lot of control in this fight. Was able to kind of, uh, you know throw the right punches at the right time and that's what kind of gets you ahead in fights and he also had more takedown uh, attempts and was more he was insinuating the fight and when you insinuate a fight usually the the judges like to score you better um during when you kind of initiate pressure and throw punches which is why that namiunas spars a fight really makes me mad so um just kind of looking through that but the other two fights the last fights, the more notable fights in the card, um, were really good, and I'm really excited to talk about these guys. Um, I want to talk about the Michael Chandler Tony Ferguson fight. This one's been aching me. I saw this fight, and I knew that the return of Tony Ferguson was going to see something special, 
and the return of Michael Chandler, who was on a two two fight losing streak, uh, losing most recently to Justin Gaethje, who is in the main event, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes here. But this Chandler Ferguson fight was great in the first round. I, I, there was no lack of action in the first round. Tony landed a couple good shots on Chandler. And Chandler, of course, responded accordingly. Got a takedown. Was able to control for about a couple minutes. But uh, it's kind of tough against Tony Ferguson, who moves around a lot. But um, I thought Tony Ferguson worked well off the ground. And according to the judges' scorecards, Ferguson won that first round. So going into the second, it was 10-9 Ferguson. And then 14, 15 seconds in, I'm coming down because I I remember watching the event. I was eating uh, chicken lo mein. Um, I love chicken lo mein. It's so good. Uh, anyways, I was coming down from getting my box of chicken lo mein. And literally as the second round's f- starting, I, I, I'm like taking a bite of my chicken lo mein. And I'm looking at the TV screen 14 seconds in. I just see all of a sudden a right leg come up with Tony Ferguson's guard down. And that foot lands perfectly. I saw it square on, standing right in front of the TV screen with a mouthful of chicken lo mein, seeing Michael Chandler kick the lights out of Tony Ferguson. And I've seen Anderson Silva front kick knockouts. I've seen other front kick knockouts that I thought were really spectacular, but nothing like this one. Especially from a guy in Michael Chandler who doesn't normally practice front kicks in training. He even said it himself in the post-fight press conference that he never plans on doing it. He just threw a light right leg and so happened to connect it. With Tony Ferguson's guard down, he caught him. That's what the brain and the muscles tend to do in terms of communicating with each other. Like, okay, let's fire now. Bam! Lights out. So... I thought that it was a very interesting um, way to go, and a lot of Tony Ferguson fans were scared. I was scared. He's on the ground for, like, over a minute, absolutely knocked out, and then he slowly gets up after Michael Chandler throws in four backflips in the octagon. Um, I would have done the same thing, too, if I knew how to do a backflip, but I guess that's what he did in the moment, and that's a second UFC win. He's the most coveted 500 fighter in UFC history, and yet he is in the top three of a stacked, and I mean stacked, division. Uh, I want to talk about Michael Chandler's um, call-out after the fight. He's, he, I was, I was going to play the audio for you guys, but, um, you know, UFC, I don't want to do that to you guys uh, in play. I, I did it once, and I was like, ah, eh, I don't want to steal UFC's content. Not today. Um, just kidding. I love the UFC. Anyways, the, 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 the point of the matter is uh, Michael Chandler is calling out either, of course, the winner of the Charles Oliveira Justin Gaethje fight. But at the same time, if that's not happening, there's one guy in his mind and he wants to do it kind of intermittently at a different weight class so he doesn't really lose status in the lightweight class. He wants to fight a really heavy, bulked up, top notch Conor McGregor. Now, I believe that Conor McGregor can return to form, but you know he's gone through a phase in his life right now where he's kind of adjusting his life. I don't know what he, what he's doing. He's living the millionaire life, I guess. But uh, he's got to 
you know, adjust back into the fighting mindset. And can he do it? Can he get back to his former form? I don't, I'm not putting my money on it, especially if you're fighting a guy like Michael Chandler, especially at a heavier weight class, because it's not just Connor bulking up, but it's Chandler bulking up for that fight. So that's what makes it interesting. Um, so Michael Chandler, really good stuff. Um, lights out, really, really made my, uh, my night in terms of this card. That was an amazing knockout. One of my top knockouts this year, if not the best knockout, definitely top three, definitely top three. I got to kind of think about, give my time, some time to think about the top other knockouts I've seen this year. Um, but as far as that's concerned, um, we got women's strawweight co-main, Carla, oh, I already talked about that. Why am I repeating what was so bad? Uh, lightweight main event. Now, a little preface to this fight. On Friday, the weigh-ins occurred, and everyone up to the main event was all good. Everything all checkmarked, and then Charles Oliveira stepped on the scale, and everyone's heart just sank, because in the championship fights, you're not given an extra pound. You gotta make weight. You gotta be 155, and guess what? Charles Charles Oliveira is 155.5.5 a half pound over a half pound over think about what's a half pound and how you can lose that to make a difference between $30,000 or $60,000 in your purse money think about that and then, of course, the pay-per-view dollars, which you lose some of your purse and extra incentive, which is big to a lot of people, but honestly not to me, and I'll explain why soon, is that Charles Oliveira vacated the belt. Now, normally, if let's say Charles was like 158, then I'd have a problem. But since he was like a half pound over, like I knew he was going to fight, but he vacates the belt. That's the rule. Unfortunately, that's it. But he's still fighting as a lightweight. It's not like he's overtly overweight. So, like, going into this fight, I know Justin Gaethje probably bulked up. So, it's an even fight. Like, it's a half pound. Forget about it. But only forget about the belt. That was vacated. And it continued to stay vacated because in the first round, Charles Oliveira proving that he is indeed the best lightweight in the world right now. Um, winning by submission in the first round. So, uh, congrats to Charles. And, um... The reason why I don't think that vacating the belt means so much, yeah, it doesn't get to carry around a nice gold belt everywhere he goes. He's still the number one guy in the lightweight division. He knows that. Everyone else knows that. He's the target in this division. I think having that notoriety is more valuable than having a gold belt strapped around your waist. On paper, his belt is vacated, but Charles Oliveira, to all of us, he's the champion. Like, he showed that against Justin Gaethje with flying colors. He, uh, but we also saw some weaknesses from Charles in, in, the, in those 3 minutes and 22 seconds. We saw him get rocked, but we also... Well, what's interesting about what that moment was, so there's a moment in the fight where Charles Oliveira got knocked by Justin Gaethje, which is not hard because he's a... Gaethje's a flamethrower. Um, Oliveira gets knocked down, gets back up, but only does that because Justin Gaethje doesn't want to engage because you don't want to gauge a grounded Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. You just don't. 
You don't want to engage a guy who could submit you even off of his back. So you're going to have to let Oliveira up. Very wise decision. But at the end of the day, Oliveira was able to get his back. Um, there was a little scramble there at the end, but that scramble opened up a pocket for uh, Oliveira to throw in a rear naked choke, and that's what he did. When I knew that, when I saw that choke go in, I knew it was it was, it was game over. Uh, Gatred's either gonna sleep or, or or tap out. He tapped out, and uh, that's it. That's that's the that's the fight. So now on paper, the lightweight title is vacant, um, and the top suitors for it, of course, Dana's already. Um, stated that Oliveira is going to be in the red corner in the next fight, the next championship fight. He's going to be the favorite. Um, unless something drastic happens, who knows? Uh, and then let me see here. I lost, I lost my page. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Justin Gaethje who just lost. And then, Dustin Poirier, to me, could be the next in line. But then you got two other guys in Islam Makachev and Benil Dariush, who's really good. But in my eyes, Michael Chandler is going to be alongside Dustin Poirier. Um, and then down goes the list in Rafael Dos Anjos. Conor McGregor is ranked ninth right now. So it'll be interesting. It's just going to be very interesting to see down the list what the rankings are going to offer down the line. Um, but this lightweight division, it has a lot to it right now in the top five and, uh, a lot needs to be more so decided rather than, um, I don't know. You got guys, you got like three different guys in the lightweight division that could be easily the champion right now in any given time. That's Gaethje, Poirier, and Oliveira. And then I'd give it to Chandler too. He is indeed the most interesting fighter in this division though, in terms of what can happen if Chandler... Adjust and what she's done from Bellator is he's now an official UFC fighter. He has got four fights under his wing. He has lost all two. He's he's won two. He knows how to win. He knows how to lose, and he knows how to adjust. So I'm saying that Chandler could be a very dangerous fighter in this lightweight division. Um, but that's that for UFC 274. Very strong night for the lightweights, um, and there was uh, a, a couple other good fights. Rival winning against Schnell. He wants Rival wants the next title shot. He might get it. Um, that's really it. Yeah, that's with you. So in that case, let's go to next this upcoming weekend. We got a light heavyweight main event. Great fight between Jan Blakovich and Alexander Rakic. Um, this will decide who will probably get that next title shot. This is a really good fight on Saturday night. Jan's got power. Alexander Rakic has got deception. He's got very. He's got a really big wingspan. It's going to be very interesting to match that up with Jan's size. Um, and then you got a lightweight, light heavyweight co-main event: Ryan Span and Ian Kutelava. Uh, Ryan Span, he's just universally liked. You know, Ryan Span, he's a um, very humble, humble guy. But up against a really scary uh, Ian Kutelava. So uh, we'll see. How that kind of ends up, kind of like humble versus stubborn, if you may say. Um, but I don't know, good kind of stubborn and Elon Kutila. I like his personality. Um, women flyweight, you got a good one in Caitlin Cokagan and Amanda Rebas. Davy Grant at bantamweight versus Luis Smoka. 
And then a lightweight fight between Frank Camacho and Manuel Torres. And that's really all the notables for that fight night. And then you got a Holly Holm, Caitlin Vera uh, next weekend. So uh, we'll uh, see if we want to talk UFC next weekend, if anything notable happens this weekend. But as far as that's concerned, that's all I got for you, folks. UFC, UFC 274 for this segment and from... Uh, beyond everything else, we s- discussed MLB, Cubs, White Sox, discussed NBA, NHL playoffs, and just recently ended the show talking some UFC. Now, before I end it, I do want to make a couple of announcements, or at least theories as to what is coming up for Monday Mass Sports Talk, because uh, um, as mentioned in the intro, if you just skipped ahead and didn't listen to it, I recommend listening to the first 10 minutes of the show. It's an update on my life. Um, every, the last just changed with the new uh, journalism gig and me writing for journal and topics here in the northwest suburbs. Um, I could do a show one week on a Sunday. I could do one show in a week on a Tuesday. So don't be surprised. It's always going to be Monday Mass Sports Talk starting at the beginning of the week. But also another question is, will I continue at WHCM? I, I, I'm for certain that my last day is, is not my, my, my last day has not come there for yet. I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I don't think I'll be uh, consistent every other week. I mean, you kind of get that. I haven't really been there in over a month. Um, But I'm going to leave those time slots up to those, at least currently during the school year, um, who have it to maybe have it if they want it. But uh, uh, I'm just grateful that they're allowing me to run Monday Mana Sports Talk at 88.3 FM. It truly means a lot. But uh, the convenience of me doing it here at home... um, it's 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 nice to have that and to do it according to my time frame because it changes every week. Heck, I could be covering an event for my uh, for a story that I'm writing um, at eight o'clock one night when I'm supposed to do a show or whatever. So like when that happens, you know, I could end up having to do a show on a Tuesday or if I don't do a show at all, you know, who knows? But um, if you want. If you are new to the show or you don't know me personally, feel free to follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Noah underscore Fest. That's Noah underscore F-E-S-T. And then, yeah, I I mean, I really post most of my stuff on there. So I just recommend getting an Instagram or TikTok. Um, Follow me up. Uh, I don't know why. I'm not going to plug my TikTok. You're going to have to find it out yourself. Ask me. DM me on uh, Instagram. I just give you and I'll give it to you. Uh, Anyways... Thank you so much for tuning in to this, the 232nd edition, the 100th of which on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. It has been an absolute pleasure bringing it out to you tonight here on May the 9th, 2022. Until next time, folks, I'll see you on the madness. Thank you so much for tuning in and stay healthy. I'll see you again soon.